Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Good morning, Disciple City Church. Just want to say thank you so much for both family and friends for joining us today. Uh, Man, can you give it up for the creative worship team? Did they not rock it? Um, Every time um, that song is sung, I cry. So if I if I'm off my rocker just a little bit, just know it's because of how beautiful Jesus Christ has been to me and what he is doing through me. And some of you all are experiencing that same thing. So just give God a hand clap of praise. Well, we're continuing our series called Good Grief. And uh, we have already talked about the what good grief is. Last week, we talked about how we should grieve. And this week, we're going to talk about how should we grieve together? How do we comfort one another in grief? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. That's the passage that we're going to be navigating through today. So let me pray. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your grace Thank you for your mercy. Um, Thank you for saving us while we were yet sinners. Thank you for sending your son to save that which was lost. I was lost, and I know there's a lot of brothers and sisters out there who are lost, but now we have a testimony in the blood that bought us in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I just pray that this word will go forth in such a way that it would transform the hearts of men and that it would equip the saints and continue to share the gospel. And it's in Christ's name that we pray that all the saints say, amen. So uh, one day uh, a man said to God, God, I, I would like to know what heaven and hell is like. And so God looked at him and said, okay. And God began to show him two doors. Behind the first door um, in the middle of the room was this, this large round table. And on top of this large round table was this large pot of vegetable soup, which caused the man's mouth to water because it smelled so delicious. And then the man kept looking around and he saw people sitting around this round table and they had in their hands spoons with long handles. But when he looked again, these people looked like they were skinny and they were malnourished. In fact, they appeared to be famished because the spoons that they were holding in their hands were longer than their arms, which prevented them from eating the food. And the more and more he saw them, the more and more he saw that they were incapable of bringing the food back to their mouth with this long spoon. And so he began to tremble at the misery and the suffering of what these brothers and sisters were going through. And God looked at him and said, and that is hell. And then around between door number two, the same exact room, right? It had the same round table, right? It had the same large pot of stew that caused the man's mouth to water. The people had the same long spoons in their hand. But when he looked at the people, they were laughing and talking, and, and they're, they seem plushed and nourished. And the man looked at God and said, I am confused. 
And God smiled at the man. He said, well, it's quite simple. He says, these brothers and sisters learned how to share and feed themselves in the midst of their suffering. I tell you this parable simply to give you a picture of what it looks like for us to comfort one another in our grief. Right? Yeah, you like that. Yeah. I, I thought it was a phenomenal parable because it gives us a picture of what it looks like for us to comfort one another in our grief. Like we're all in the same room. We're going through all the same predicaments. All of us are suffering. But the difference between a disciple of Jesus and the world in the midst of the suffering, watch this, is the difference between self-preservation and sharing in one's pain, right? The difference between followers of Jesus and the world in the midst of their suffering is self-preservation and our ability to share one another's pain. See, self-preservation oftentimes um, causes us to only think about ourselves, that we forget to care about other people. In fact, here's what I've learned during this this pandemic. When self-preservation is connected to pain, then we become petty, right? We become petty. We begin to think less of our brothers and sisters, and we begin to think more about ourselves. Now, please don't misinterpret me. I am not talking about staying home. I am not talking about wearing masks. I am not talking about putting gloves on because all of those things are not only designed to protect us, but they're also designed to protect our neighbors. What I'm saying is self-preservation becomes a bad thing when we neglect both the mission of God and the uh, household of God. That's when it becomes an issue. That we only think about ourselves and we begin to neglect that we still have a mission to proclaim God's truth. Or we we neglect our brothers and sisters who are also trying to feed themselves with the long-handled spoon. No, God has called us to share our pain. The Bible says that God has called us to love one another. The Bible says that God has called us to serve one another. The Bible has said that God has called us to carry one another's burden. That this is the picture that God has painted as we seek to grieve with one another in comfort. And so as we look throughout the scriptures, one of the questions that I want to ask and answer today is, how do we comfort one another in our grief? And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3 through 6, is the place where I think we can answer that question. Beginning at verse three, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. How do we comfort one another with grief according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1? And Paul would say simply this, we share it. Share it. 
Paul tells the church of Corinth and Disciple City Church to share your grief to comfort others. If we're going to be the type of church that is both the salt and light of the earth, one way to show off God's glory in the midst of grief is to comfort one another. In fact, the Bible says, we know that you are disciples of Jesus by how you love one another. And in this case is how you comfort one another. When you enter into the text, you quickly run into this, this big theological truth. It's, it's almost like a marquee sign. And that marquee sign says, God comforts all of us in our affliction. Paul is singing praises to God as he's writing this second letter to the church of Corinth. And he's singing these praises in verse 3 when he says, Bless me, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Notice something. Paul gives God two titles. All right. And the first title he gives him is the father of mercy. All right. And the word mercy here means that God shows compassion to us. Right. And that's good news for us, because not only does God show compassion to us when we are suffering for the gospel, but God also shows compassion towards us when we are in our own sin. In other words, whether it is consequential compassion things that we have done, or whether it is missional compassion, suffering for the gospel, Paul says you need to know that God is the father of mercy. Oh, I love that. It reminds me of a VeggieTales song, The God of Mercy, but I'm not going to sing this week. I sung last week, and you can go back and look at that to see my bars, all right? Secondly, um, he refers to God as the God of comfort. In other words, not only does God have compassion for us, but he is our paraclesis, right? Hold on to that Greek word because I'm going to come back to it. He says he is our paraclesis, which means that he is our comforter. He is our encourager. Like God lifts us up in our time of affliction. God comes alongside of us in our times of brokenness. And the Bible says not only does he come alongside us and um, comforts us in some of our afflictions, but the Bible here says in all of our afflictions. Your pain, God said, I got you. If you're mourning death, God says, I have you. If you're going through a disease, God says, I will comfort you there. The question is, why is Paul focusing on God's character as a comforter and an encourager? One reason. So that we do not get to a point where we are tempted to think that God has abandoned us in our afflictions. The reason why Paul is focusing on the characteristic of God as an encourager is so that we do not step in the pitfall of thinking that God has left us. Is that true of some of us today? That we've been going through this pandemic so long that the, the residual effects of the trials that have, we have incurred has caused us to think, feel, and believe that God has abandoned you. That he has deserted you in your destruction. And Paul says, quite the contrary. In fact, God is a very present help in a time of need. Can I get a witness from just two people that God has been a, a, a present help in our time of need? Now, we know this, 
Um, God didn't, does not just comfort us for our sake. Uh, God doesn't just comfort us for our self-preservation. Actually, God comforts us with a purpose. And I know all of you have heard this before. Watch this, that there is purpose in our pain. Why is God comforting us? And here's the truth. God comforts us so that we might comfort others. Go back to verse 4. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The reason why God has comforted us is so that we may be a comfort to other people. Here's the truth. God has called us, called us to be a conduit of comfort, right? And the word conduit means a canal, right, where water flows. Uh, the conduit means um, um, uh, uh, a, a trough where electrical currents can flow. But one of the things it also means is a channel where radio waves flow. Let me put it all together right now. Where there is water, there is life, right? Where there are radio frequencies, there is clarity. And where there is electric currents flowing, there is power. Here's what God has called us to do. God has called us to comfort our brothers and sisters as we bring life and clarity and power to them in the midst of their affliction. Yes, he has called us to be a conduit of comfort. God has given us the ability to be a conduit, allowing pain and suffering and trials to flow through us. And out of the abundance of God's comfort, we can help other people. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, does anyone need one of those conduits to come alongside them? I know I do. Now, here's the question. What does this look like? Remember earlier, I said the Greek word for comfort was paraklesis, right? Paraklesis. For those who want to look up the Greek word, the verbal form would be parakleo, uh, right? And it means to encourage. But paraklesis is deeper than just encouraging someone. In fact, it has the same root word of parakletos, which refers to, watch this, the Holy Spirit. And that word there means to walk alongside one another. Now, I was sharing this all with my daughters, and one of my daughters was like, Daddy, what, is all that what does all that mean? Here's what it means. God has called us to walk alongside one another in the midst of our brothers and sisters' afflictions while we encourage them. In other words, no one walks alone in suffering. That we are the paraclesis where we walk alongside one another, encouraging one another in our afflictions. Are you walking alone in your suffering? Are you walking alone in your trials? And if you are, it, 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 going back to our illustration, it is like trying to feed yourself with a long-handled spoon. All right? If you are trying to, to, to comfort yourself and find relief um, and, and isolated, watch this. It's going to feel like hell. It's going to feel like hell. So God says, no, we are conduits of comfort. Where we walk alongside one another, comforting one another. Now, I know for some of us, um, entering into people's affliction is scary, Right? 
And, and the reason why it's scary is because we feel that we cannot walk a mile in those brothers and sisters shoes. But can I give you some good news? You have already walked that mile in their shoes. You, you have already experienced the affliction that you are about to enter into and carry with your brothers. Go back to verse four. Look at the very last words that Paul said in verse four. He says, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, you don't have to manufacture comfort. You just have to pour out your experience by which God himself has comforted you. Right? Like you, you don't have to create comfort. You don't have to find the words to say, God says, I have already filled you in your affliction by my comfort. And I want you to take the overflow of that and pour it out into your brother or sister who is going through something. Right? Here's the picture. That's why oftentimes God will let the, like those who have experienced addiction to encourage those who are addicted. God allows those who uh, have experienced being bereaved to encourage those who are being who are bereaved. Uh, God oftentimes takes those who are traumatized and he allows them to walk with those who are traumatized. Here's the beauty behind this. The reason why God allows us to go through some of the things that we have been through in life is so that you might have empathy for your brother who's going through it. That's why you have went through some of the things that you have went through so that you may have empathy, a deeper understanding of what your brother or sister are going through. Like it's one thing to talk about losing weight, but if you, if you have never lost weight, man, how you going to tell somebody who's struggling with that, man, how to do it? Man, all you got to do is work out. They're going to look at you. I have been working out. But show pictures of you struggling through the same thing and say, man, listen, this is what I had to do, man. On, on some days it was good. On other days it was not good. Hey, don't step on the scale every day because it is discouraging. Notice the empathy that is coming from one's mouth who has experienced what you are going through. In other words, God has allowed us to go through what we have went through so that we can identify with the pain of the brother or sister that we are comforting. Let me give you a good illustration. Uh, I am a parent of a special needs child. And uh, one of the things about being a parent of a special needs child is, man, I have massive empathy for those who are walking in my shoes. I, I know what it feels like to bring your child to a public place. And he begins to make noise and everybody begins to look around at him. I know what it's like for someone to come up to your child and you tell them his age. He's six. And they'd be like, oh, he's, he's, he's small for six. I mean, one day um, I took my baby to the YMCA and my wife and I decided to allow him to go into the kids area to play with the kids. And every time our son, we call him Jaws, go into this play area, all the other kids disperse. And we can look throughout the window and see our child playing by himself. And I remember one day this child walked up to uh, our son. And I can tell that this child has special needs. And I can tell by the child's look. I can tell by the child's mannerism because I know what to look for with, ch with children who have special needs. And the child walks up to my son and they just begin to stare at one another. And in a very nonverbal way, it was like to say, we're the same. We're the same. 
See, God has allowed you to go through some of the trials and tribulations so that you can walk up to another brother or sister who is experiencing those things and say, we're the same. We're the same. You and I should not be walking alone in suffering because God has sent others to comfort us. So let me make one thing clear. Paul is not rejoicing in his affliction. Paul is rejoicing in the God who has shown compassion and comfort. And out of the overflow of that compassion and comfort, he is comforting other people. You don't have victory in the afflictions. You have victory in the God who delivered you out of the affliction. And because you have victory in him, you have something to pour into other people. You don't have to walk in their shoes of affliction because you can fit them. You don't have to figure out what to say to them because God has already given you a testimony to tell them. Sometimes you don't use words at all. Sometimes you just sit there and cry with them. Sometimes you don't use words at all. Sometimes you are just a shoulder that they can rest their head on. God has positioned you to be a conduit of comfort. So here's the final question. What are we to do with our grief now that God has comforted us? One word, one phrase, share it. Share your grief to comfort others. Let's go back to verses five and six. For as we have shared abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Paul explains that he is suffering for the sake of Christ. In fact, he is literally communicating that, that Christ's suffering is overflowing towards him, right? Let me make this plain. He says, for breakfast, I am suffering for Christ. For lunch, I am suffering for Christ. For dinner, I am suffering for Christ. And I still even have leftovers suffering for Christ. Paul says, I am overflowing abundantly in suffering for Christ. Why do we need to know that? Why is that an important, informa important information for us? For two reasons. The first reason is this. To suffer is a birthmark that you are a follower of Jesus. Right? See, oftentimes we tell people that your faith should prevent you from suffering. Paul would be like, uh, that don't make sense. Paul says the teacher suffered, therefore the student suffers. Paul says the master suffered for the proclamation of the gospel, therefore those who are followers of Jesus should suffer for the proclamation of the gospel. He says you need to understand that suffering with Christ is an identity marker. Some of y'all jumping right now, you're like, "Woo! I thought it was me. I thought it was because of something I did. No, it's because of someone you know. All right. And the second reason I think is important for us to understand of us sharing in the suffering of Christ is so that we don't think that Paul is writing from an ivory tower. See, it's hard to listen to someone who ain't went through anything. 
And Paul is saying, no, I have been through things. In fact, in verse 8, he talks about his suffering in Asia. Look at this verse. Verse 8, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not only on ourselves, but on God who raised us from the dead. Notice what he said. He says, we got to a point where we thought we were going to die. We got to a point where life itself was in jeopardy. And instead of us trying to willpower ourselves out of it, notice what he did. He said, I began to um, depend upon God more. Are you drawing near to God in your affliction or are you trying to work it out yourself? In your trials and tribulation, are you depending upon God more or are you mad at him that you're going through what you're going through? Paul says, in the midst of sure death, I didn't draw away from God. I draw draw to God. Why? Because I understand that he is the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. Paul didn't stop at just suffering. Paul continued to talk about God as a comforter as well. And here's one thing that I can guarantee you. If you are in Christ, if you are suffering in Christ, you will be comforted. You will be comforted. It is a guaranteed thing that will happen. And I can say it not based on what I have experienced, but based on what God has promised. And through his promise, I can share and pour out this truth that God will comfort you. If all of this is true, suffering and comfort, then the question is, what shall we do? And then Paul says, share your grief to comfort others. Share your grief to comfort others. In verse six, he says, three things will happen as you share your grief and comforting one another. He says, the first thing that will happen is that you will bring deliverance. You will bring deliverance. Verse six says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. The word salvation there means deliverance. When you enter into the afflicted, when you begin to comfort those who are broken, watch this, you will bring deliverance. You will bring relief. I I know it seems like they're pushing you away. I know it seems like they're not answering your call, but go over to their house. Knock on their door. Keep texting them so that you might provide relief and deliverance. The second thing he says that when we enter into others' grief and we begin to share our grief, he says we will bring hope. The verse says, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. In other words, those who are on the outside are looking at how you are responding to the brokenness of the world. And they are confused because you are flourishing. You are crying with hope. You are, you are broken with um, despair, but not crushed. And they're looking at you and like, man, I want that. What do you have? See, when you begin to share your comfort, you begin to model hope that they too can receive comfort. 
Yeah. That's the power that Christ has given us. And here's the last thing. When we share our grief to comfort others, we will bring forth endurance. Endurance. The verse is, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Right? When you share your grief, you give them a sense of endurance. That you show them that time can heal some things, whether on this earth or in eternity. Like we need endurance. I remember I was texting my brother and um, it was at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I texted him and I was saying, man, please pray with me. Um, because I am, um, um, I, I'm experiencing anxiety. Uh, I, I'm thinking about how the heck I'm going to keep this church together, man. Uh, we got to make all these quick decisions, man. Man, j- just pray for me. And I text him at 4 a.m. in the morning. And at 4.01, he texts me back and says, I'm up. And I'm praying right now. And in that moment, I knew that I was not alone. In that moment, he gave me um, deliverance and hope and also endurance that there's other brothers and sisters who are on their knees praying that God will comfort them in the midst of this. So share your grief. And when you share your grief, you comfort others. And so as Jorge comes to the stage, there's two things that I want to say to you. The first thing is, in order to share your grief, with others and bring forth comfort to them, the first thing you're going to have to do is enter in, enter into their suffering, enter into their affliction. And when you enter into their affliction, the second thing I want you to do is tell them how Christ has comforted you. Some of you are out there are just waiting for someone to enter into your affliction. You're trying to figure out whether you are alone. And I'm here to tell you, you are not. And some of you are trying to enter into affliction, but you don't know what to say. Take the gospel truth of Jesus and point them to him so that they may draw near him. So as you contemplate over these things, one of the things that we do here at DCC is contemplation. And we ask four questions. What is God calling us to stop? What is God calling us to start? What is God calling us to believe? And who is God calling us to share this message with? Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom.